Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask if you would find in your copy of Scripture Mark chapter 9. I'm going to continue our series with a sermon entitled, Jesus Encounters a Faithless Father. Uh, If you're a guest here with us today, we're glad to have you. I see a number of you that I have not seen before, so we're glad to have you with us in our worship service today. Uh, We'd love for you to take the tear tab in your worship guide and fill it out. Uh, You can drop it in the offering box at the back or hand it to me as you leave. I'd love to check in with you as you uh, had worshipped uh, worshipped with us today and see how your experience was. So what we're going to look at this week is the issue of faith issue of unbelief, uh, falling short. Uh, how many of you have fallen short in something in your life? You, you, you've not matched up. You've not quite gotten to that level that you intended to. I play a little golf. Uh, have played a little golf over the years. I'm not a great golfer. I've played Oakwoods Country Club a number of times. And hole number eight, short little par three. Some of you have played it. Some of you know, short little par three. Based on the number that it says, I've got a certain club that I should be able to reach that hole with. But evidently, it looks shorter than it is, or it's more uphill than it appears to be. And pretty much every time I've played that golf hole, I've ended up short on the hill. One of our church members told me this morning that it's better to be short on the hill than over the green, uh, trying to chip back down. Nevertheless, I've come up short more times than I could count playing the game of golf. Maybe you're not a golfer. You don't understand what that's like. Maybe it was, for you it was playing a basketball game and you airballed a jump shot. Maybe for you it was being on a team that came so close to winning, but you fell just short. Maybe it has nothing to do with sports for you at all. Maybe it's a test. You had a particular mark that you had to reach and you fell short on that mark. The reality is for most of us, falling short is pretty benign. We, we don't match up. We, we fall short. We make mistakes. We land a little bit less distance than we needed to land. For most of the things in life that we fall short on, it's okay. But what if you fell short on the only thing that ever mattered? What if you fell short in the only arena of life that will determine your eternity? What if you fell short in your level of faith? And by that, I don't mean, what if you have doubts? There are plenty of people who have doubts. Doubt, doubting is not unbelief. There are plenty of people in the New Testament that doubted. And it wasn't a reflection of their unbelief. It was a reflection of their faith, just how their faith needed to be challenged. I'm not talking about doubting. And I'm not talking about the amount of faith. You're not going to hear me talk today about you need to have more faith. Because Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, it's enough to move a mountain. What I'm talking about is true unbelief. See, if you and I enter into what we think is, is a right experience with God, with unbelief, it's not enough. It will leave us short, and it will leave us short in a way that will be eternally devastating. What we're going to look at is a story here Uh, of some ways that unbelief caused some people to fall short, and fall short in some pretty significant ways of true faith. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 14, it's a story about a faithless father, and it follows 
a wonderful paragraph where the gospel writer Mark tells us about Jesus' transfiguration. One of the things that you need to know about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they wrote those gospels, part of what they were doing was intentionally telling us Jesus is unique. He's not like everybody else. He is different. He is one of a kind. And the transfiguration story tells us that, describes that utterly and clearly. Jesus is not like everybody else. When they were on that mountain, Peter, James, and John were on that mountain with Jesus, they saw Jesus in all His resplendent glory. They didn't just see Him as a carpenter. They didn't just see Him as a traveling preacher. They saw Him glorified. And it caused Peter to speak out and, and say that, you know, we need to build three tabernacles, one for you and Moses and for Elijah. And God the Father spoke and Peter heard God the Father's affirmation of Jesus. And they saw Jesus in all of His glory. One of the things we need to grasp is that Jesus is unique. He's not like everybody else. He's different. He's God in human flesh. And as He came down off that mountain from that wonderful experience where Peter and James and John saw Him in all of His glory, Jesus entered into a situation that was quite extraordinary. He entered into a situation where the disciples were arguing with religious leaders. Pick up with me, if you will, in chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, And he arose. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Three ways in which unbelief falls short of true saving faith. The first way is this. Unbelief settles for people when only the master can help. So we got to commend the Father. Whatever he had heard about Jesus, and we're not sure how much he'd heard because he, his faith was lacking. We'll see that later on in this story. He'd heard something about Jesus, something that Jesus might be able to do something about his son in the situation that he was in. He brought his son to Jesus. The problem was Jesus was on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. He was experiencing that transfiguration event. And so the disciples that were left behind, the Father stopped with those disciples and asked those disciples, can you help me? Can you cast out this demon? Can you help my son? And the disciples were unable to cast out 
this demon. They were unable to help. And so Jesus' reply when He showed up in this situation, He showed up and there's arguing and there's debating and there's frustration and all that going on. Jesus showed up and He said this after they told Him the situation that the disciples couldn't help. He said, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring Him to me. I think when Jesus said, Oh, faithless generation, I think He's talking about the Father. The Father admitted that He had unbelief. We'll see that later in the story. But I think He's also talking about the disciples. See, they could have, should have been able to help because God had empowered them and given them authority, yet they didn't believe either. And so Jesus' statement there is about unbelief, oh, faithless generation. And what is it that sometimes causes us to enter into situations with faithlessness or unbelief or not have true saving faith? And sometimes it is because we settle for people instead of going all the way to Jesus. What do I mean by that? Let me give you some illustrations of what that could look like. Uh, Sometimes we settle for something that's not quite enough. Imagine you've got headaches due to a brain tumor. You take some Excedrin and it relieves the pressure and the pain of the headache, but it'll do nothing about the brain tumor. If we settle for something that will just mask pain, we don't really deal with pain at the source. Let's move it to a theological illustration. Roman Catholics. There are many Roman Catholics who have some type of faith. And so they go to their Catholic Mass and they partake of the ritual of Mass. They go to confession and they sit in front of a priest in a confession booth and they confess some type of sin and the priest offers them absolution. And they walk out of their church experience feeling better about themselves because of the ritual that they participated in and the confession that they gave. The problem is, for many Roman Catholics, is those ritual expressions of faith do nothing more than make them feel better about themselves because instead of going all the way to the Savior, all the way to Jesus, the only one who can truly redeem them, they stop at a person. And tell you, that happens sometimes in our own church life. That happens sometimes in our own spiritual experiences. Some of us have been in church for a long, long time, and we had some type of religious experience, but we settled for that rather than going all the way and following Jesus and trusting in Him alone as our Savior. Some folks won't trust in Jesus because of what they see other people do. I mean, I've heard in in my life, as I was testifying to people and evangelizing folks, said, hey, why don't you become a follower of Jesus? And sometimes their response goes something like this, well, I'm not going to become a follower of Jesus because I know so-and-so who goes to your church. And I know what they look like. And I know what they do on the the weekdays. And they don't look like a Christian. They're a hypocrite. I'm not going to follow Jesus because they're a hypocrite. Let me tell you something. That's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. Yes, we all uh, have a measure of hypocrisy. We all are sinful. And God doesn't change us automatically take all of our sin nature away and all of our sin desires away when He saves us. He just doesn't do that. But we're in danger, if that's our excuse for not coming to Jesus, of settling for people when the only one that can rescue us and the only one that can redeem us, the only one that can change us is Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you if you're here today, don't settle for anyone or anything less than Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can rescue and redeem. He's the only one that can heal. He's the only one that can save. Another way that unbelief kind of shows itself as a shortfall to real faith is unbelief focuses on the situation instead of the Savior. 
This is a fascinating story. Not only for what happened, the original kind of, kind of situation that brought this family to Jesus, but for all the drama that was going on around it. And sometimes we read through Scripture so fast that we miss some of the sideline things that are going on. I want you to notice this. In verse 14, when Jesus showed up, He didn't show up and immediately hear what was going on. He showed up to the disciples arguing with religious leaders. I guess that just reminds us that theological arguments have been taking place for a long, long time. Not just in Anaheim at the Southern Baptist Convention in the past few days. Not just in seminary classrooms or Bible college classrooms. But Jesus showed up and the disciples were arguing with religious leaders. Probably having to do with their inability to heal this boy or cast this demon out. So there's an argument going on. And the argument drew a crowd. By the way, isn't that the way it always works? When there's an outward, visible expression of frustration and display and argumentation, it draws a crowd. People, you know, they rubberneck. They want to see what's going on. Uh, don't tell me you don't know what I'm talking about. You've seen families arguing and fussing in public, and, and, and you're like, look, what's going on? What did that kid do to make that parent so mad? We traveled. I'll give you this. This is free of charge. So uh, we, we, we traveled some and saw some families over the last several days, and we saw some kids that were acting out. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. We saw, heard a kid screaming out, being corrected by his mom. And as my wife and I walked by that, we didn't cast any judgment. Because, you know, no parent who has a dis- misbehaving child in public casts judgment on any other parent because we've all been there. The people that cast judgment are people who don't have kids. That's just the way that goes. But all this drama, all this argument, it created a stir there in that situation. On top of that, when the father brought the boy to Jesus, the spirit caused the boy to convulse, threw him to the ground, he was foaming at the mouth, which continued to stir up more drama and more of a crowd and more of a situation. And so sometimes what happens is unbelief focuses on all the sideline issues, focuses on on the situation rather than on the only person that can deal with the situation, which is Jesus Himself. How does that work itself in our own lives? Well, some of you walked in here with stuff. Some of you walked in here with situations that you're carrying around. Maybe it's a concern for a loved one. Maybe it's the salvation of someone that you've been praying for. Uh, maybe it's a financial mess. Maybe it's a job issue. Maybe it's just worry about, about the stuff going on in our world. But here's what happens. We have a tendency to always look at those situations. To constantly focus on, what can I do? How can I fix this? How can I deal with this? How can I make this better? How can I solve this issue? And, and what happens happens is our faith gets lost in the midst of that. Because in this good old U.S. of A. where we live in, we're kind of told that you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do your best, work harder, and things will go well. And that's all well and fine politically and in a country. But that doesn't work in a faith relationship with God. You can't make yourself right with God by doing better or being nicer or being a good person. You can't make yourself right with God by focusing on the situation and making the situation better. Did you notice Jesus ignored all the fluff, all the stuff? He didn't get caught up in the drama. He didn't get caught up in the swirl. He didn't solve the theological arguments that were going on between the religious leaders and the disciples. He simply said, bring the boy to me. Listen, 
If we're going to have genuine saving faith, we need to put our attention on the Savior and let the situations kind of go by the wayside. Stop trying to control everything. Stop trying to fix everything. Stop trying to manage everything. We need to turn our attention to the Savior. A third way that unbelief gets in the way or or, or is a shortfall to saving faith is this. Unbelief seeks healing instead of seeking the healer. Notice what the Father did. Rather, notice what Jesus did. Jesus questioned the Father. He asked Him, how long has this been happening to Him? And I don't think Jesus asked that question because He didn't know. It's certainly within the realm of reality. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. He could have known exactly how long the boy had been suffering with this illness. He asked the question to invite a faith response from the father. The father's response went like this. He said, from childhood, it's often cast him into the fire and the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything. See, here's what I, what I would have noticed as I paid attention to this text. The father wanted a solution for his son. And, and we got to give him credit for that, right? I mean, his son had on many occasions been near death. The Spirit had thrown him into a fire or thrown him into the water trying to destroy him. And this father was desperate for someone to fix his son's situation. Desperate for someone to heal him. And so he was coming to Jesus in desperation. Here's the problem. A truly believing person doesn't seek merely the event, the miracle, or the relief. A truly believing person seeks the one who is behind the miracle or the healing or the event. When the Father said, if you can help us, if you can have compassion on us, He wouldn't have said if, if He knew who the you was that He was talking to. See, the Father made the request conditional. If you're able, if it's possible, if you have the capability. The reason He said that is because He didn't know that He was talking to the Creator of the universe. He didn't realize that He was talking to the Logos of God. He didn't understand that He was meeting with the fully God, fully human, Jesus, perfection of God walking on planet earth. He didn't realize that He was talking to the Savior, the Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Healer. And because of that, He used the qualification, the condition, if you can. And Jesus replied back, if you can, do you not realize who you're talking to? All things are possible to the one who believes. What you need to realize is who you're coming to. What you need to realize is whose presence you're in. We need to see that and we need to notice that. Grammar lesson is important here. The Greek word for can in this text is dynamai, which carries with you the idea of being able or capable or powerful. it's It's an acknowledgement of capability and ability. And in the English language, when we use the word can... And my boys use this all the time. Dad, can we? Can I do this? And oftentimes, I'll be a kind, smart aleck, as you will as parents, and say, of course you can. You have the ability to. What you're really asking for is permission, which means you should use the word may. And in this text, what's going on is the father is questioning Jesus' ability. Can you do this? 
when he should have acknowledged Jesus' ability and asked Jesus to intervene. It's a request based on recognizing who Jesus is. And folks, I'm going to tell you, a lot of times what happens is we come to God conditionally. Sometimes we'll come to God conditionally, but sometimes by thinking, okay, God, I've been to church three times in the last four weeks. I'm doing pretty good. Or, or I've read your Bible some this week. Or I've tithed a little bit. Or I've done some good deeds. Or, or this is my favorite one in my own personal life. God, I haven't lost my temper with my children today. And we go to God in some kind of conditional... That doesn't happen very often, by the way, but that's another, another sermon for another day. We go to God with some kind of conditional request. Say, God, here's what I've done. Why don't you do this in my stead? And that's the way the Father had come to Jesus. He'd come to God on the condition. Hey, here's some reason you need to, you need to answer this. Or we come to God in some kind of halfway, mealy-mouthed, unfaithful prayer. God, you know, if you're able, would you do this? Folks, when we come to God, when we come to the Savior of the universe, the one who heals, we need to come to Him as if He is able because He is the only one who is able. We need to acknowledge when we pray, God, You are great and You are the Creator and You are the sustainer of life. You are the worker of miracles. I trust You. It's up to You whether You do it. I'm going to ask you to do it, but I'm going to not question that you can do it. I'm going to trust that you know best, but I'm going to believe that you can. And then here's the, the big kicker with this. The Father came wanting something from Jesus, but not really wanting Jesus. In a, in a fantastic book that I would commend to all of you, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, he writes this. He says, We do not come to a set of doctrines. We do not come to a church. We do not even come to the gospel. All these are vital. But most truly, we come to a person, to Christ Himself. I think what the Father missed, and, and the reason for His unbelief in that moment, the reason that He lacked, the reason that He fell short, is because He came for something from God, rather than for God. See, some of us are in that very same situation today. You brought something in the worship service with you this morning. You brought a health situation. You brought a financial situation. You brought a job situation. You brought an interpersonal situation. You brought a family member or a friend. You brought somebody who needs Jesus. You've brought a lot of things to God. And you have taken those things to God over and over and over again. And sometimes I'm afraid... What we've done is we've brought the situations to God, wanting God to intervene more than we want the God who can intervene. And let me just assure you of this. If you'll come to God in faith, if you'll come to Jesus Christ in saving faith and trusting Him, and He doesn't do what you're asking Him to do in your situation, Jesus is still enough. And what we need to realize is that He is absolutely able to heal and do a miracle, and intervene, and rescue, and save, and redeem. He is absolutely able to do that. But if all He ever gives us is Himself, beloved, Jesus giving us Himself is enough. He is more than enough to sustain us through difficulties and suffering and sadness. He is more than enough to help us through our challenges and our circumstances. He is enough. And what I love about the Father 
in this story is he finally admitted what the problem was. Lord, I believe. And he cried out. The Greek word for cry there it carries with it the idea of an emotional turmoil. This dignified Jewish dad had got to the end of his rope, had realized that he was desperate, had found Jesus, and then had been confronted with his own unbelief. And he didn't quietly whisper. He cried out, the text says. Cried out, probably distracting and disrupting the other stuff that was going on. Cried out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He acknowledged his lack of faith. He acknowledged that the problem was not the request, The problem was the fact that he didn't believe that Jesus could fulfill his request. He cried out. And Jesus took the boy, healed the boy, and everybody thought the boy was dead because the Spirit had come out and Jesus raised him up. Let me give you three specific applications that close us out and then we'll we'll finish with an illustration. Application number one. It's Father's Day. So dads, I'm going to talk to you for just a second. Fathers, whatever else you do in your, in your life, get your children to Jesus. Listen, there's going to come a day when every single one of us is going to stand before a holy God. And the Bible tells us on numerous occasions in the Old and New Testament that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. That is going to happen. And you, individual, are responsible for whether you trust in Jesus and believe in Him. That is your responsibility. God's going to hold you accountable for that. But dads, let me tell you something. Let me warn you. The Bible says that we have a responsibility to bring our family to God. That He is going to get, hold us in a measure accountable for whether or not our wives and our children are our wives. Our family comes to know Jesus. He's going to hold us accountable for that. And some of you dads, you love your families, and I'm grateful for that. You provide for your families, and that's fantastic. You're supposed to do that. You want your children to be successful. You want them to do well in life. You give them opportunities to succeed. You take them to, do, to play sports, and you help them with their academics. Fantastic. But if they become great athletes... If they get straight A's, if they make it through college, if they make a lot of money and they don't know Jesus, all the stuff in this world that you gave them and supplied for them will do them no good in the next. Dads, let me speak to you very honestly. If there's nothing else you do in life, make sure you get your children to Jesus. This father was desperate. He got his son to Jesus and Jesus helped what does that look like? Dads, for starters, get them to church. Some of you say, I can't make my kids go to church. Well, I, I'm just, I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. You make your kids brush their teeth. You make them take a shower. At least I hope you do. You make them go to school. You make them do their homework. Why can't you make them do the most important thing they could possibly do, which is being the gathered Uh, worship of God's people where they have an opportunity to meet Jesus. Dad, you're in charge. Lead. Make sure you get your kids to Jesus. And not just in church. In church is one aspect of that, but not the only aspect of that. Both of my boys made professions of faith in our family devotion time. When we read the Scripture and prayed together, and you said, I'm not qualified to do a family devotion time. How in the world can I do that? Can I tell you what I do in my family devotions? I read the Bible and I pray. 
I don't preach. I don't teach. We don't really expound on things. I just read the Bible and I pray. Any of you are capable of doing that. Dads, moms, grandparents. If there's nothing else you do in life, get your children to Jesus. I'll give you a second application. This is to all of us as Christians. Christians, you can best express your faith through prayer. We get to the end of this little story and the disciples came up to Jesus and they said, Lord, why couldn't we cast this demon out? See, they should have been able to take care of this situation. They should have been able to because if you look in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, Jesus had sent out the disciples two by two. He had given them authority to preach and teach. He would given them authority to heal. He had given them authority to cast out demons. So they should have been able to cast out this oppressive demon. They should have been able to do that. So they asked him, Lord, why couldn't we cast this demon out? His answer was this. This kind only comes out by prayer. Now, other uh, manuscripts, prayer and fasting. Carries with it the idea that, folks, the best way to express our faith is through prayer. All of us need help on our prayer lives. Uh, all of us fall short when it comes to how many minutes uh, in a day we pray, how many hours in a day we pray. But, but the, the key point here is not the amount of time we pray. It, that's well and good, and we should pray more than we do. But I'm talking about the quality of the way that we pray. We should pray believing, not pray unbelieving. You can spend all the hours you want in prayer, and if it's not a prayer in faith, it doesn't matter. In fact, some of the most effective prayers that you'll read in the pages of Scripture are pretty short. This Father, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's a really short prayer, just a few words long. And God answered. Peter, when he was walking on water, Lord, help me, save me. He didn't even say I'm sinking, it was too obvious. Lord, save me. And Jesus rescued him. Here's the point. We need to go to God in faith through our times of prayer. A couple ways, just practically, that will help. One is, when we go to God in prayer, we need to go to God in prayer acknowledging that He's able. The prayers of the Bible, the written prayers of the Bible, so often begin with a testimony to God as Creator and Sustainer and Lord and King and Ruler and Reigner and the One who reigns. The reason why is because when you acknowledge that God is able at the outset of your prayer, it encourages the faith of what you're going to bring before God in prayer. When you come to God with all your stuff, it's so easy for us to think, oh man, all this stuff is keep, you know, we don't pray right and we're not sure what we're supposed to be asking for. Folks, we don't pray in light of our stuff. We pray in light of the God who's able to deal with our stuff. We go to Jesus. We realize that He's in control and He's able. And so we acknowledge that as we pray. God, You are able. And then something that's helped me recently is one of the things we ought to do is when we bring our request to the Lord, we trust that God knows best and we just say that. There are folks I've been praying for that they put their faith and trust in Jesus. Some folks have been praying for for more than five years that they'd put their faith and trust in Jesus. That they'd be saved. And they haven't yet put their faith and trust in Jesus. So what I've learned to do, what I was encouraged to do in an audio book I, I listened to recently, is just acknowledge after I bring that request before the Lord, after I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict, after I pray that God would do a work in their hearts and bring them to salvation, just acknowledge at the end of those phrases of prayer for that person. Pray something like this. Lord, I trust you. I trust you to work in their hearts. I trust you to change their lives. I trust you to intervene. 
just as a testimony and an acknowledgement that we trust that God knows best. I don't know what God's going to do in your situation, but I know this, if we come to God as if He's able and we pray and we trust that He's able, then God's going to help us through it, help us past it, and over and over and over again, I've seen in my own life and you've seen in your life, God work through and in spite of the situations that we have. I'll give you a third application. It's this. Sinner, come to Jesus in faith and He'll save you. There are some of you in the room today that have not yet become followers of Christ. You're carrying with you a sin that's going to cause you to spend eternity separated from God and it's unbelief. By the way, I, I think that the Bible teaches, I'm pretty sure I'm on good, good ground here, the only sin that sends you to hell is the sin of unbelief. Of not trusting in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior. That's the sin that will send you to a separated eternity from God. But if you come to God in faith, if you trust in Jesus alone to be your Savior, He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will save you. This father was faithless up until the moment he wasn't. This father came to Jesus probably for the wrong reasons and came to Jesus not realizing who Jesus was until he realized who Jesus was and until he had faith. Come to Jesus. Because unbelief, folks, is deadly. If you go all the way back in the Old Testament, the Scripture verse that began our sermon this morning, or began our worship service this morning, is dealing with the people of Israel. Uh, some would say that faith, saving faith, is like closing your eyes and taking a blind leap and just hoping that something's there. It's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible tells us that saving faith is believing in the God who has already done so many wonderful things that we can trust that He's going to keep His promises and fulfill His covenants. If you go all the way back in the Old Testament, what you'll notice is that the people of Israel were in slavery and they didn't want, they wanted to be out, but they didn't really trust that God would bring them out. Yet God sent a Moses. And what did the people of Israel witness while they were there in slavery? They witnessed ten terrible plagues on the people of Egypt. They, they plundered the people of Egypt as they left. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. You remember all that? They had the manna that was provided for them, food. They, they were at a place where they didn't have water, and God gave them water from a rock. They didn't know where to go, and so there was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire that led them and directed them. I mean, event after event, miracle after miracle, moment after moment of God's interventions. And then they get to the very cusp of the promised land. They're right there at the entry point into God's promise. And God had promised him, he said, this is the land I'm going to give to you and your family. And he said, go in, take the land. And what did the people of Israel do? The text tells us in Psalm 106, they despised the promise. They didn't believe God. And for 38 years, I want you to get this, because they didn't believe every adult who didn't believe in God's promise in that moment died in the wilderness. And they didn't receive the promised land. Folks, Jesus came from heaven to earth to die on the cross for your sins. He is able to wash your sins away. He is able to help you believe. He is able to redeem you and give you life. But if we don't believe then we'll spend an eternity suffering the consequences of our lack of faith. What I'm inviting you to do today 
is to put your faith and trust in Jesus alone to be your Savior. I'll be here at the invitation. If you'd like to trust Jesus alone, I'd love nothing more than to talk to you about that. If you're uncomfortable coming forward, I'm available after the worship service. I'll be happy to talk to you however long it takes. For you to get settled, your need to believe in Jesus. More than anything, I want you to know that Jesus came to be your Savior. And the only way to eternal life, the promised land, heaven, the place where God has prepared for His people is through a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not comfortable with any of those things. Take the tear tab in your worship guide. Say, I'd like to know more about Jesus. Give me a cell number and a name. We'll make, it, we'll make time to talk about it this week. Why? Because there's nothing more important. Nothing more important than making sure your faith is in the right person. See, a lot of things you can fall short on. But if you fall short on faith, not having genuine faith, you're going to spend an eternity separated from God. And beloved, that's not what I want for you, nor would any of us in this church want for you. Jesus wants to save you. Will you stand with me? Our Father, we come to you in this moment. We come to you as the one who's able Lord, you spoke the world into existence. You sustained life. Lord, you planned our salvation experience. You sent your son Jesus to be our redeemer. You sent the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sins. You have offered us a way into eternal life. And you've invited us to believe. I pray, Lord, for the one or for the many that are in the room today that have not yet put their faith and trust in you. I pray that this moment would be a moment of conviction that You would show them their sin of unbelief. I pray, Lord, that this moment would be a moment of grace where You give them faith that they might follow You and trust You. I pray, Lord, that You would save and redeem. I pray, Lord, for the one who's still skeptical, the one who has questions and concerns. I pray, Heavenly Father, that through the power of Your Spirit, You would alleviate those concerns and help them to know that putting their faith and trust in You is what will give them eternal life. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help those in this room today to meet Jesus. For the first time in salvation, Lord, for those of us that are followers of you, I pray, dear Lord, that you would teach us to pray and realize that the one to whom we're praying is able to hear and answer and intervene in abundant ways, more than we could ever ask or imagine. Teach us to trust you in faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.